Hello and welcome to the Uncredible Adventures podcast with me, your host Cornelius. I'm really pleased to have you here. The Queen is dead. Long live the King. The news, of course, that Queen Elizabeth II has died. The head of the Commonwealth, the Queen of the United Kingdom and 15 other sovereign states around the world. A reign of an unimaginable 70 years, 214 days, starting shortly after the the end of the Second World War with Winston Churchill as Prime Minister. And then throughout that period, she remained a solid constant as we went through 15 different Prime Ministers, 14 American Presidents, 7 Popes. In a change to what I was planning this week, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about the Queen. So yesterday afternoon I was in Wales with one of my colleagues on a Teams call. We were sharing a single iPad, sitting in, in, <laughs> sitting in a car, sharing an iPad on a Teams call with, with quite a few other people. And partway through the call, she muted our microphone, ducked her head out of the range of the camera and just said to me, the Queen's not well. And then came back in and I looked at her and I muted it again. I ducked my head out and I said, what? She ducked her head out and said, the Queen's not well. And I don't know whether I said it, but I certainly thought, yeah, I know. The Queen has not been well for quite a long time. She's 96 years old, and in recent years she has retired more and more from public life. So it's not news to hear that she's not well. We knew there was something wrong with her. If I'm honest, I didn't think too much more about it. I'd seen the Queen just a day or two before when she met Liz Trust, the new Prime Minister, and a few photos were published and she had some bruises on the back of her hands and she looked remarkably like a little old lady. Not like not like the Queen, not like the image you carry in your house in your head. But like a nice sweet little old lady. But she was up and she was smiling and she was standing. Presumably she looked okay. And then a bit later that evening I got in and I had literally just got in and I was just chatting to my wife and she said oh have you seen the news and I said what news she said oh the queen's not well I said oh yeah I have I had heard about that but I said that's not we knew that didn't we she said no 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 this is something something's really going on I said well how do you mean she said oh and all the all the princes Prince Charles and William uh, and all the royal family are all going up to Balmoral to be with her and I must admit I still kind of brushed it off I kind of thought well look it's not like they've got jobs that they've got to be at. It's not like it's a problem for them to travel. You know, I'd, I'd imagine they can travel fairly freely and it's easy for them to go. So even then I didn't think much. And I was just about to sort of launch into a long... Like, I don't think people just just die that quickly. We know it's inevitable. We know the Queen is on the way out at some point and I suspect this might be the start of a protracted period of illness. We saw pictures of her just a day ago and she was standing up. She looked fine when the news broke. Queen Elizabeth is dead and I <laughs> I was incredibly surprised I was gobsmacked so we switched on the TV for a bit and sure enough there we were the newsreaders were wearing black ties and everyone was talking in somber tones and, and pictures and videos of the Queen and I was quite surprised to find that I was quite upset it it touched me and I got quite upset I got very introspective and I got very emotional and I couldn't quite put my finger on it now I'm not a huge royalist I'm fairly neutral to be honest I think the idea of a monarchy is pretty scary 
Uh, the idea that by virtue of being born in the right person, that you can inherit this huge amount of power and wealth and privilege it doesn't seem fair. And it also doesn't seem very democratic, and I think there's a, a huge risk attached. That said, clearly having a queen and having a monarch has given us in the UK far more stability and far better choice of leaders than democracy has achieved for us. Same for the US. But yeah, as I as I turned on the TV and I watched it, and there was a, a definitely a feeling that this was quite a momentous occasion, a huge period of change. And, and to try and put my finger on it, the, the Queen has been the Queen since before I was born. The Queen has been the Queen since before my dad was born or my mum was born. And it, it's really strange to think in the 40 years that I've been alive, it's very difficult to try and think of anything that has changed less than the idea that we have the Queen. The Queen is our Queen. She's been the one solid piece of unchanging rock in in a world that is changing incredibly fast, really, really fast, and, and ominously feels perhaps that it's not moving in the right direction. It certainly doesn't feel like we're in good times right now. And this is one of the things, so when you, we watch these videos you put the tv on they were showing videos of her through her life and clips and various things and all of them place you you can you can tell immediately you know by, by how the queen looks and things like that roughly when it was and it makes you think about your own life it makes you think about the years gone by and it's very difficult to look back on previous times without thinking of the good old days you know things were more simple then things were more certain i've spoken about this on podcast before about how it it when you're in the moment, it can feel very, very scary and uncertain. You know, the world at the moment feels a very dangerous and uncertain place. We feel like we're on the edge. You know, things keep getting worse. And just when you think something worse can't happen, something else comes along that, that makes it worse and and everything is falling apart. And what I've said before, and I still maintain it to a certain extent, is that it always feels uncertain. It's just when you look back at something, you know how it turned out so you don't have any of the inherent fear or risk or, or worry that you had at the time you're much less emotional so you look back and think of things as the the good old days now i had this thought last night i was thinking about this and i thought dear me if we ever look back on this period of history this this last few years of where we are right now and think fondly of these as the good old days then dread to think what what conditions we'll be living in where we see this as the good old days nevertheless although having the queen probably doesn't affect us day to day in the uk as as much as we might think very it has very little impact to be honest not much will change having king charles now instead of the queen we'll have a different face on our coins we'll have a slightly different national anthem but the reality is things will continue but nevertheless we are definitely in a new era thousands of years time when an ancient historian uncovers this podcast and listen to it he will no longer be listening to an elizabethan podcaster he'll be listening to a carolean podcaster and i think probably why a lot of us didn't appreciate it at the time when you look back now there was certainly some kind of stability and calm and sureness that came from having the same queen with the different prime ministers and the different presidents and all the things that happened in the world. The one constant was that we had the same queen and she was unflappable. 
she was composed and calm and you never saw any emotions you never saw her worried she seemed very very solid and it feels a little bit lost without her and I, I think that's a fairly common feeling that lots of people feel like we're venturing into the unknown venturing into a, a new world without our queen without something we've been so certain about for so long right at a time when there's a crux of all sorts of various crises and things going on for me the stranger to experience watching these clips they're playing on the news and people are sharing things and all this history of the queen is i look at a picture i look at this person who is so recognizable you know surely the most famous person in the certainly in the western world the most famous person in the world the, the head of state for 15 countries and she has been like i said for 70 years we've got her picture on the back of her money on the back of her coins and on stamps see her constantly i feel like i would recognize her anywhere but then you start to in, in the light of an event like this in the light of her death and you really think wow this was a human this wasn't a uh, almost you know you look at a celebrity and you think they're not real they're not a person they're a, a figment they're a picture you never meet them face to face but it made me realize actually this is a real person and the more i looked at the, the pictures the more i realized actually i don't know really anything about this person i know her official public persona actually i don't know what she thinks about anything i don't know her opinions i don't know really what type of person she is and 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 a lot of that has been the secret to why she's so been so good as a head of state because for this the position that she had for that that top of the government the head of state the the figurehead you want someone that doesn't have strong opinions you want someone that's not overly political you want someone that maintains decorum and calm that's a really really important factor and it's something that without the queen without a monarchy you're missing no it's made me quite sentimental certainly made me think about life and death a bit more and the passage of time and how bizarre it is to think that we're in a new era whenever an era ends a new one starts immediately there's never a period where nothing's going on there's always something new happening and indeed one one day sooner or later we'll all be gone too and none of this will matter what what happens to the world now doesn't matter to the queen you know wherever she is whatever she's doing life on earth no longer matters to her anything she was worried about is totally irrelevant and there's kind of a a bit of comfort there thinking that there's a release but there's also seems incredibly scary to think that this person who's been such a constant no longer has a state a stake in the world that we live in so the queen of course has got children and grandchildren and prince william who is now first in line to the throne he's almost almost exactly the same age as me i think within a few days he's exactly the same age as me and there's it's given me a little bit i think through my life a slight bond in that i've fallen in exactly into sync with that family unit so his his parents or his dad and of course princess diana the things that happened to him his life stages so i started university and i remember the very first lecture we got prince william was studying history of art at st andrews university and I was studying economics at a business school and I remember the very first day the dean of the school welcomed us all and drew our attention to the fact that we were starting and you know in Scotland in St Andrews Prince William was starting we had that in common with him 
And then he gave a little bit of a jab. He said, unlike Prince William, though, you'll be coming out with a degree that you can actually do something with. Now, we've only just celebrated the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, which means it must have been 10 years earlier was the Queen's Golden Jubilee. And I, I vividly remember that. I was living at the time in Weymouth or on Portland. I, I, I can't remember where exactly the timing but what I do remember was that shortly before a couple of weeks before the Queen's Golden Jubilee someone who I used to work with back when I was a student I used to work in a supermarket one of the girls I used to work with who was very friendly with was probably my best friend at work had reached out to me we hadn't spoken for quite a few years and our lives had gone in different directions but she reached out she said oh hi how are you doing and we were chatting and she said look I'm coming from London down into Devon for the week and we're coming back up that weekend i thought it might be nice you know you, you you're down that way now why don't we come in me and my boyfriend come and meet you and your your partner it will be we'll have a, a little bit of a reunion it'd be really nice so i thought oh that would be wonderful okay let's do it so i said look i'll have a look out i'll see what we can do you come up on the saturday and it happened to be the saturday saturday of the jubilee so i saw a poster and there was a poster that said weymouth's biggest street party you know the the Queen's Golden Jubilee Street Party, get your tickets. And they weren't much, they were only a few quid, and it was based in somewhere in Weymouth. But I bought tickets for the four of us and, and the two boys, my kids as well, so that we had somewhere to go when my new friend arrived. And it was a really interesting experience because she arrived and it was clear that our lives had gone in very, very different directions. And where we used to be very, very close and we were friendly, we now lived entirely different lives so I'd moved to the middle of nowhere I was now living in the seaside if you listen to earlier episodes you, you, you know about my life back then but I was living in the seaside I had small children and and in the, the way that you are bedraggled when you've got very small children you know we were sleep deprived and we totally unglamorous and living in a house that we struggled to to keep clean whereas this my, my old friend the person that came to visit had become a really really cool person she was a fashion buyer for some top name brand and her boyfriend was a cool guy that worked for a fashion magazine as a photographer they lived in in Camden in London or Islington you know I think Islington somewhere cool in London and we're living the high life partying and <laughs> and rubbing shoulders and there was a little bit of a culture shock and we used to be so fond of each other and we still were but it immediately became obvious we didn't have that much in common anymore and we were struggling to talk. But nevertheless, it was friendly. And I said, look, I've booked us tickets. And I showed them the flyer. And it talked about, you know, Weymouth's biggest street party coming to the epicentre of the Queen's Golden Jubilee. And we got a bit excited and we went down, walked into the town, found where we were meant to be. And this Weymouth's biggest street party for the Queen's Golden Jubilee was a pub that, that backed onto the road and they'd fenced off a little section about the size of, um, I don't know, three or four snooker tables. And there were seats in there for about 20 people, of which we were six of them. Now, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if there'd been a bigger s celebration planned and they hadn't sold the tickets or what it was, but this much-hyped biggest street party in Weymouth literally turned out to be us in a, a, a makeshift 
garden outside of a pub in the middle of the town with about six people we laughed about it a lot and it became a really good thing for us to bond over because it it became we were able to have the conversation about how different our lives were you know I mean I made the joke about this is a big day out for me you know I'm not used to being in crowds like this yeah that was the Queen's Diamond Jubilee and then recently we had the Platinum Jubilee and I'm sure I podcasted about this is where we got caught in the rain we all knew that would be the Queen's last Jubilee and I think with the, the nation whether you were a royalist or not we went for it it was a, it was we got a bank holiday it was a chance for a celebration it was a chance to go wild the kids loved it my little boy um my youngest three-year-old they they taught him a song at nursery which is happy royal jubilee happy royal jubilee happy thank you your majesty happy royal jubilee which he sings daily to this point it 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 was the first kind of event i think that he he understood they 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 did a lot about it at nursery we went to this big this actually was a big event it wasn't just a fenced off tiny little pub car park it was a big event where we live now and he loved it and he thinks about the queen's party and he always wants to go to a party and say oh let's have can we have another royal jubilee and they've been talking about the queen passing at at school he's been in nursery today and he came back home and he said hey dad the the queen the queen i said oh yeah yeah and he said yeah yeah and i said what what do you know about the queen what can you tell me he said well first she went to the castle and then she went to sleep and then she died i was like okay he said and now there's a king i said okay that's good and he said but dad i said yeah he said we can't have another royal jubilee but that's okay because soon it's betsy's birthday betsy being his little best friend at nursery school bless him there have been a couple of other in my lifetime certainly been a couple of other royal funerals so there's the queen mothers and princess diana obviously the tragedy of princess diana dying so young and i I vividly remember that i was 15 years old and the day that it was announced that princess diana had died i was working it was the summer holidays and I was working in a print factory. So guy that lived a few doors up the road was a manager in a print factory. And I was quite good friends with him. And he said, look, we always need temporary work. Why don't you come and work your summer holidays? So at 15 years old, I went to work in this print factory, which was a pretty hellish job. So we were on a, uh, on a huge machine. I was, I was in the finishing department. So not the place where they put the ink on the paper, but the place where they turn that into booklets or whatever it was and my job that I was doing for about 12 hours a day was standing on the end of a machine that was printing Nokia mobile phone insert leaflets so the booklets that came with Nokia mobile phones back this is a very very long time ago some of the earliest Nokias and what it would do was there it was a very long machine and there was a guy that would feed it at one end with all the paper and then it would, I think it was folding all the sheets together, stapling them, and then sending them out 50 at a time. And then an air thing would sort of suck it. So you had a, a, a tranche of 50 and then a gap. And my job was standing at the other end. I had to wait till 50 came along, grab them all, put them into a little pile, put an elastic band around them and put them into a box and then grab another 50 elastic band, put them into the box until the box was full and then seal the box, make another box, put it on the pallet and fill that and it was just never ending and the only breaks 
I got were when the machine, so the machine broke down fairly regularly. Something got jammed in it. So, you know, every 20 minutes or so, the machine would break down and I'd be able to run off to the loo or grab a swig of drink or something or just rest for a minute. But it was dull and it was boring. And the only thing that made it bearable was the radio. And I was very loud in there, but I had a radio close to me. So I was just listening to music, thinking my own thoughts couldn't talk to anyone I couldn't see anyone even where I was this little place I was working and I remember the day that Diana died vividly because they stopped playing any interesting music on the radio they played you know their sad playlist of of nothing you'd heard of but sad musical day and it was a really really long day but then something interesting happened because of you know a week later or whatever it was I was still working there on the day of Princess Diana's funeral and I'd been getting lifts in with the the manager and he was ill for some reason that day or maybe he just wanted to go home and watch it on the TV. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, he gave me a lift in and then he had to leave. He was not well. He went home and he said, look, I've one of the other lads is going to give you a lift home. Just let him know when you want to go. So we carried on working and this other guy was itching. You know, he was really pleased because he was going to be on the clock, give me a round trip. You know, he could probably stretch it out to a couple of hours out of the factory. So he was itching, you know, and he kept coming up to me every five minutes saying, do you want to go? Do you want to go? Do you want to go now? Do you want to go now? So eventually, yeah, about lunchtime, I said, all right, yeah, can you take me home? He said, yeah, yeah, all right, jump in the car. So we got in the car and we started driving home and the traffic got more and more slow and snarled up. And in the end, we were absolutely crawling along you know one car length every 15 minutes or something as we approached an overpass over the motorway must have been the m1 i guess and finally while we were on this bridge over the motorway the traffic stopped completely both ways jammed gridlock jammed everywhere you could look no cars moving it was completely frozen and we sat there for about 20 minutes with nothing happening and eventually got out and we were sort of, and all other cars got out at the same time. We were just sitting on the bonnet and wandering around. It's very sunny. And we realised that the motorway running underneath, there was absolutely no traffic on it at all. It was completely empty. And, and that is how I saw Princess Diana's coffin and funeral procession driving up the motorway that day. And totally by chance, we we got ourselves in an absolute prime position because we got caught in this traffic jam to stand on the overpass and wave. I think we waved and we certainly looked. And I, I saw Princess Diana's funeral procession, the cars driving underneath, which was quite a quite a unique experience, I guess. Um, and then even more interesting, I think, for me at that age was a few minutes later, we saw the rolling road block, so there were like three or four police cars blocking every lane, driving really slowly behind the procession about a quarter of a mile back, with just jammed with cars and traffic behind them that they'd been holding up. And clearly that's why we were in a traffic jam, because they closed, that it was a big military operation, I guess, to close every entrance uh, onto the motorway, to keep the motorway completely clear so that this um, funeral procession could drive up with not another single car on the road not the only time i've seen that uh, i don't know who it was i suspect it was prince charles but one time i was driving uh, in dorset in the roads around dorchester and a police car came came behind me forced me to pull over um 
forced me to really pull into the side of the road and I thought he was going to pull over but he drove past me but as he got to the side of me he said stay there don't move so I stayed pulling not going and he carried on driving ahead and then about 30 seconds later a couple of police outriders came and then like a really fancy car with a royal crest on it came whizzing past now I don't know who that was I suspect given where I was I was not far outside a town called Pound or a community called Poundbury and Poundbury is interesting if you ever look it up it is it, it's a little it's a community it's a housing estate essentially that's been highly sponsored by Prince Charles who he's used it as a sort of experiment to try and build the perfect community housing based around some principles so aesthetics it has to look nice and it's got some very interesting aesthetics and beautiful buildings there and and everything is built with care the original design i believe they would wanted to really reduce car use so it's meant to be designed that you had business centers and shops and things that were easy to walk to with good paths and people lived there would barely use cars and there were various other eco-friendly things and it's a very interesting experiment you know they're pushing back to sort of post-war housing development planning and, and trying to make something that's a bit more aesthetically pleasing which i think is nice if you've got the money it's pretty expensive to live there but worth a visit if you're in the area the only real thing i know about it i do know someone that lived there for a bit and the one thing that stuck with me was he said it's the 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 ordinances are a flipping nightmare so for instance you're not allowed to wash your car in the street he said so you can't wash your car and there's rules about you know where you put the bins or what color you can paint your house or and he and (laughs) and that to me i think it's a bit you know it's a nice place it's pretty but it has to be very heavily regulated and rules to, to to keep a community together like that not really my cup of tea anyway that day I was driven off the road, a policeman told me to get out of the way so this car wouldn't have to slow down for a second or be delayed at, you know, presumably any junction on its entire journey between London and Poundbury. I guess carrying the King, King Charles. Maybe not, maybe I'm doing him a great disjustice, but that's something that kind of sticks in my throat a little bit to this day that I wonder, what I, I can't find that in the Highway Code. I've never been able to detect in the Highway Code the point where... I'm required to drive off the road so that a member of the royal family doesn't get delayed in the slightest bit. And I I still think that's an abuse of power. I don't think the police should be driving and stopping me from driving just so that someone else has a faster journey, just so that someone can travel quicker. And I stand by that. Anyway, it's a short episode. It's not the episode I had planned. I'll be back next week. I've got about three really good episodes that are sort of three quarters planned and they're not quite all come together one of them will have by next week and i'm quite excited to tell you some stories i've just got a couple more thoughts this week just a couple of small thoughts there's something about the queen and the fact that i've she's always been part of my life that you know the image of her on a coin or on the news regularly or you know any any state event you see the queen and and you recognize that and the idea that millions of other people around the world you know these the the nations she's queen of really really diverse you know australia and new zealand and barbados canada ghana kenya jamaica nigeria pakistan uganda trinidad and tobago 
And I think all these places, she's been head of state, she's been the, the queen for all these countries and visible, I guess, on the world stage. And there's a certain idea that all these different countries and all these places around the world are people that I don't know and probably don't have a huge amount in common and, and they live uh, in an entire, entirely different culture, entirely different part of the world to me. We've got a shared bond in that the Queen has been a constant in their lives just as much as it's been in my life. And that image of the Queen will be as familiar to them as it is to me. And it really made me realise that is incredibly rare and that is something that really can build bonds around the world the only other thing that i can possibly imagine where i could look at someone and say look i've got the same visual memories as you do my life my upbringing in the uk there's certain things in you know if we go back to my childhood and my teen years and my 20s these images are the same images that you saw and a lot of it's sport and it got me to thinking that i think test cricket is probably now that the, the we've lost the queen sadly test cricket is probably the last event that I, I you know i used to catch glimpses of it in black and white on the tv when i was a a child or, or in early you know fuzzy tv watching test cricket and when i think of all the nations that are involved in test cricket that that visually is still very similar and i do think it pulls our nations together so the big cricketing nations of the australia and new zealand and pakistan and india and sri lanka the west indies there's, there's something there i don't know what i'm getting at and i'm hopefully i'm going to unpick it and maybe come back to it in a later podcast but there's something about a shared cultural identity and it, it comes from these shared visual memories that you would have with a culture that otherwise you might not have much crossover at all a final little story one of the queen's jubilee i've realized i told the story there about her golden jubilee i imagine it was her diamond jubilee i've lost honestly lost track a little bit but one of the queen's jubilees was when my nephew was about three or four five weeks old so a tiny baby and in those four or five weeks he'd been the most grisly little guy you know he'd, he'd grizzled and moaned and he's you know his first month of life he just was an unhappy baby that was grizzled and unhappy and moaning all the time never crying and his mum my sister tried the best with him to keep him happy a lovely kid now by the way but he was miserable they decided my mum and my sister and and a few other people decided to go into london for the queen's jubilee to, to to visit the you know the crowds along Pall Mall and Buckingham Palace and see the pageantry and the display quite brave of her to do with this newborn baby but she was comfortable so they went along and at one point they were standing um watching this huge parade watching everything that was going on and the baby stopped crying my nephew stopped crying for about the first time since he was born he stopped and he was just you know i wouldn't say necessarily looking at it but he was content you know all the commotion the the noise the kerfuffle the stuff that was going on had snapped him out of this whinging and it, it still tickles me that when i spoke to my mum later that night she told me what had happened she said well the good news is we found out how to make the baby stop crying and i said oh really what what do you need she said it's quite simple all you need is the red arrows to do an aerial display you need about 300 grenadier guards 400 scots guards on horseback three marching bands and about twenty thousand people waving flags and cheering 
And all we need to do, whenever we want him to stop crying, is just pull that together. Anyway, that's the end. I know it's been a bit of an odd episode. I do apologise. My head was full of this last night. I couldn't concentrate when I was thinking about what podcast to make. So I wanted to mark the occasion. I hope you haven't found this too disrespectful. I'm not... You know, I appreciate for some people this has been a real a terrible shock or something they're incredibly worried about. And with with greatest of respect to Her Majesty the Queen, who did her job um, selflessly, not an easy job. I, I think it's easy to say, oh, it's not a real job. But honestly, I, I do it for work sometimes. You have to sit next to someone that you don't know or like and have dinner and make polite conversation. It's incredibly difficult. And the Queen, you think, imagine how many dinners she had to sit next to boorish, horrible people and make conversation. You know, she did work hard. She did it with great dignity. She's been a, a solid rock that has been of great comfort to a nation and we're worse off for the loss of her.